It's Fig Tree Watchers. Welcome. Tonight on Apologetics, we're discussing the Trinity. Yep, I know, the Trinity. Why are we discussing it? Because it's under attack. So let's take a look at the Godhead. That's next on Fig Tree Watchers. And as always, we've got a great theme for you. So invite a friend, let someone know tonight. It's a beautiful night, and uh, here in Southern California, just got back from camping with the family. Thank you, Io, for filling in. I did everything I could to get connected and just wouldn't work. Um, you know, these uh, Wi-Fi connections for the wild, they're for the birds. They just don't seem to ever work. Um, that that kind of bums me out. But um, I hope everyone is doing great. And you're having a fantastic week. May God bless you. May he strengthen you this week as you prepare for Sunday. Because tomorrow is Sunday. Yes. Is Jesus starting a fire in your broken bones? Do you believe in the Trinity? Uh-oh, people are saying they can't hear me. Uh-oh, oh wait, now they can. There he is. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, so we're going to be discussing the Trinity tonight. Uh, for anybody that wants to... Uh, Join in and ask some questions tonight. I'm going to let you go live because maybe you have questions about the Trinity. And uh, if you feel like this is something you want to do tonight, you're welcome to. Um, ask questions, what you're thinking about. And maybe this is something that you're struggling with, an understanding of it. But uh, tonight, it's your night. All right? And we'll give that just a second more, and then we'll get started. Amen. Oh, it's so good to have you guys here tonight. Remember, you can listen to the replay on this on uh, FigTreeWatchers.com. All right, well, let's get started. Well, you know, it was an interesting night, uh, week for me, uh, went camping, uh, been promising the kids, you know, as a father, you have to keep your promises and, uh, it's very important. I learned this from my dad that when you made a promise, you have to commit to it. You have to put aside everything else that is going there. Well, we had one disaster after another that interfered with our camping trips, um, and, uh, I told the kids, no matter what, it's going to happen on this this week. We're going to go. And uh, it happened. And uh, it was fantastic. It was beautiful up there at Blue Jay. And then the next day happened. And I suffered one of my migraines that I get every once in a while. Um, I used to get them when I was younger almost every single day. 
And then, wouldn't you know it, I get one, and it was debilitating to me. It was it was crazy. I mean, I was going blurry vision. What was crazy about it was my daughter ended up having a migraine at the same time, which was just nuts. So uh, there we were camping and moving like slugs, and the younger kids, they're bouncing all over the place. I mean, they just, they're just enjoying themselves. Uh, but my older daughter, my 18-year-old daughter went with us, and, and uh, myself, we were just dying. Uh, it was it was crazy. Now she didn't get as bad as mine, but she was she was like to the point of tears. Mine was to the point where I just I get really really cold. My bones ache, and it didn't help that it was about forty degrees up there in the mountains. Uh, we were camping. Beautiful, beautiful campground. Like I found a gem of a campground, and I'm not telling any of you because I don't want you to go there. Okay, I'm not. I don't want anyone to go there, but it is beautiful. And uh, it was fantastic, um, but uh, it was it was amazing. It was, it was really really great time that I had, and I enjoyed myself. Um, it got to decompress from all the stress that we're under and everything else. But that being said, um, Io did a great job last night, and uh, thank you, Io. I know. <laughs> Io goes, boy, I wish it was 40 degrees here. He's in Minnesota, where it's minus 40 degrees. I mean, what a coincidence. 40 degrees where I went camping and minus 40 where he lives. Um, <laughs> we always are in tune, brother. We're always in tune. <laughs> Except I was using a barbecue. I don't think you have those in Minnesota. Um, but uh, just to tease him a little bit, uh, it's... It's, uh, it's, it was so enjoyable. I, I really had a great time. But the beauty of it was astonishing. It was, it was really, really beautiful up there. And it was great. And so the, the Lord was good. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the Trinity. I'm going to post this in the comments real quick for everyone. Because, you know what? You may be wondering questions about it. And I approach the Trinity completely different than most pastors. Uh, I understand where they go where they go about it and they talk about it and they try to dialogue and help you to understand it. And I think that that's just a big waste of time. The Trinity is everywhere in scripture. It's everywhere. And so fundamentally, I like to go where the pictures are of the Trinity. So where I wanna go on the Trinity tonight is chapter four of Revelation. That's right. I think the strongest passage on the Trinity is actually from the book of Revelation. It gives you a picture that is absolutely clear, and we're going to take a look at that. So please turn to um, chapter 4 of uh, Revelation. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And then we're also going to be looking at Zechariah 12.10 is another passage we'll be taking a look at in, in a minute. Uh, that is there. So these are all beautiful passages that we want to, you know, take a look at and check out what they say. But as you're turning to it, uh, I want to remind you all that these podcasts, if you haven't subscribed to them, please subscribe to the podcast. They are absolutely amazing. Uh, We're getting great feedback from y'all. And uh, it is just something that I really encourage you to do. Uh, I found out this week, I was talking to Brother Io about it, ran into someone in San Diego that was telling me that they listened to us. We're noticing that 
people, more people are messaging us that they're listening to us than there's actually views being put up by Instagram. Now, either Instagram has really bad algorithms that are not connecting the, the views, the actual views to what people are doing, um, and they're hitting the number a lot less, or they're actually doing all the censorship that everyone is saying they're doing. And that is, um, that is uh, really, really sad if that's the case. So anyways, um, this is the next thing that we're going to take a look at. Let's go and jump into the scripture. But before we do, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to thank you, God, that we can gather together in your name, Lord. And we pray, God, that uh, you would help us tonight as we are studying your word because, God, we, we want to understand it. We want to know about who you are and everything else. So could you please, God, open up your scriptures and reveal yourself to us, God, so that we might know you better and understand you more. And that we might be uh, filled with the wisdom that we're asking for, God, so that we can grow in faith, grow in stature, grow in knowledge of who you are and, and become the disciples that you've called us to be. Lord Jesus, we just need your help. And we're asking for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's get started. We're going to start in chapter 4 of Revelation. And what we're going to see is uh, John has been raptured up into heaven. And he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the thrones, proceeding lightnings, sputterings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before, before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back, the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like a calf, and the third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now this is amazing because... They are describing the Lord God Almighty and then they're using a phrase who was and is and is to come that it's describing Jesus at the same time. This is a duality sentence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they're giving this phrase that refer references Jesus who was and is and is to come. Right. So it's a it's an important phrase that correlates directly to Jesus. Now. We get to chapter 5, and we're asking, we're, we're John in verse um, 2, uh, he, he's asked the question, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seal? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So no one was able, right? No one. Now listen to this. So John, he weeps. He cries out in verse 4, he says, I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep before 
Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now, this is kind of funny. I will share this with you. Several of my friends, Ios included on this, we have this hypothetical theory that the elder who's speaking to John right then and there is John himself. It's, it's, it's John, future John, as an elder, looking at John the disciple and telling John the disciple, don't worry, okay? This is all taken care of. And the reason being is the way that the book of Revelation flows. It's a vision of now, a vision of future, and it, it flows in this time that moves in and out of time, in and out of the dimension of time in heaven, in and out of the dimension of earth in heaven. And this is because God is interdimensional, God is nonlinear, and this is how the book of Revelation needs to really be studied. Yes, there are places where it needs to be studied in chronological order, but it also needs to be understood in a nonlinear, literal, needs to be understood literally, but nonlinear and interdimensionally. And that is the best way to look at the book of Revelation that I have discovered. Now, having seen this, and uh, it's not here to, to go over a great detail of the book of Revelation, but in verse 6, he all of a sudden says this, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out into all the earth. Okay? Remember, Jesus said, I go, and the Holy Spirit will come in its place. In fact, he made it very clear that if he didn't leave, the Holy Spirit would not come. Remember, so these seven spirits, the seven eyes, are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. Then he came. Who came? Jesus. Jesus came, the lamb that was slain. Okay? The, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, this is so important because in verse 8, it says, Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, uh, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Now, what was the song? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And you were slain and have redeemed us to, to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Here's something that you have to totally get when you're reading this chapter. Number one, the living creatures, okay, they bowed down before the Lord. Okay, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, right? But the seven spirits, God who is sitting on the throne, did not. Why? Because they are one. One God, three persons in the Godhead. Jesus takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The seven spirits, God who sits on the throne, doesn't bow before the Lamb. Why? Because it's one. It's one God. One God. And this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the Trinity that we can ever come across because it matches what happens in Matthew chapter 3, right? When Jesus is being baptized. What do, what do we get from that passage? Well, in the Gospels, when 
Jesus is being baptized. A, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. The scripture says like a dove. It, it, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. We always give this image of the dove representing the Holy Spirit. No, it descended in the way a dove would descend, right? On Jesus. And in the voice from heaven spoke out, this is my son, right? You're hearing there that same imagery is right here in the book of Revelation, you're seeing the distinctive nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of them separate. God the Father is not the Son. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. But one God in three persons. In fact, Colossians gives a lot of clarity to this. It says that he is the, the visible form. Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God. And this is so important for us to understand because God the Father is the authority. And I often paint this picture for people who are studying the Old Testament. Where is Jesus? Where's the Trinity in the Old Testament? Well, this imagery is really strongly portrayed in Mount Sinai. God the Father issuing out the decree, the law to Moses, the behavior, the moral conduct that God expects of human beings. That's on Mount Sinai. But Jesus, he's in the clouds, right? In fact, he's coming in the clouds. But Jesus is the cloud that led uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he's their guiding light. He is leading them. He is their shepherd that oversees them. And then the Holy Spirit resides in the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the Holy Spirit resides in. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, and remember Moses' books, the, the law, the, the Ten, Ten Commandments, I'm sorry, the Ten Commandments were put into the Ark of the Covenant. And Aaron's rod was in there. Also some manna, right, was in there. Because the Bible is our, the bread of life to us, the scripture says. It talks to us as being bread, right, that we can eat. Remember, it's often referred to as, as the scrolls we eat with our mouth. Um, in scripture. In fact, John, in, in uh, he writes in Revelation chapter 10 that he was there to eat the scroll, right? Uh, and then we have the rod, which is our discipline. Well, where do we learn our discipline from? From the word of God. We get it from there. And the commandments, we get that from the, from the word of God. And all of that, the Holy Spirit is constantly correcting us and guiding us and comforting us to be disciplined in the word of God, Okay. Why? So that we can hide the word of God in our heart and not sin. That's what the scripture says. In fact, we get that from David. David said, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the Trinity that we get. The other one that I really love is going to the Old Testament. And remember in congruent theology, and I bring this up a lot, in congruent theology, we focus on the idea that your theology must be made up of two or more witnesses in the scripture that validate other scriptures. So if you're going to believe, like in the rapture, for example, you need to have multiple verses on the rapture that, that exist in the scripture. And remember, yeah, and I understand people are going to start going, well, the word rapture isn't there. No, but the concept is, and it makes it very clear and if you believe in it pre-tribulational, you have to get that from scripture somewhere. 
So you need two or more witnesses in the scripture. If you believe in the Trinity, there has to be clear, distinct pictures of the Trinity in scripture. And and I rattling off just four off the top of my head. You have first John chapter five, uh, verse seven. Very clear picture of the Trinity. You have what I just described to you here in, in Revelation 4 and 5 of the Trinity. You have what I described in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, uh, the Trinity. But then you have Zechariah. And you have pictures of the Trinity, uh, imagery of the Trinity in, in uh, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. But distinct pictures, well, Zechariah chapter uh, 12 is probably one of the most distinct pictures we're going to look at. So let's go look at that. And it is in verse 10. Now, this is interesting because this is a prophecy about Israel. And it is a promise literally about Israel coming back to the Lord. It is a future promise that Israel has yet to fulfill. But God is speaking here in chapter 12. And he says this. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So on the house of David, he's specifically talking about Israel. For all of you people who are into replacement theology, sorry. He's being specific. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about the house of David. And then he says he's mentioning a specific city, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's, that's not the church. And it's not New Jerusalem. He's talking specifically about the inhabitants that live within the city of Jerusalem. So the the house of David and of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, when they will look on me whom they pierce. Now God the Father is speaking here, right? And he says, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. Now this is the Holy Spirit that is poured out and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. This is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who was pierced, right? Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. This this correlates very strongly to John 3, 16. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? The begotten son, the only son, as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for firstborn. Jesus is called the firstborn, the firstborn of resurrection, the firstborn of the, of, uh, uh, that, that comes in at the end and uh, talks about, and these are of the first resurrection, made of the firstborn. Jesus is. He is the firstborn. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the uh the beginning and the end, right? So it is interesting that here is this beautiful description of the triune God. And so we can see evidence of the triune God throughout scripture. And in order to avoid the Trinity, you have to manipulate scripture to say what you want it to say. You have to come up with these really cool jargons and phrases to get people to, to not buy into the Trinity. And none of them are scripture related. And this is one of the sad commentaries on pastors today. I, I would argue with you that 90% of the pastors today can't argue the Trinity 
the way I just did in scripture. 90%. I would say that uh, having come out of Calvinism uh, and taught Calvinism, one of the weaknesses of most of the Calvinist pastors is they really couldn't describe the Trinity to you. They couldn't sit there and through scripture make the arguments that I just made very simply. They go every which way. They go to 1 John 5, 7. They talk about Matthew, about the Holy Spirit descending, but they get lost there and they have no way to describe to you a clear distinction of the persons of the Trinity. What is so unique about utilizing Revelation uh, chapter 5 is that you see the, the 24 elders bowing down before the Lamb. You see the, the, the cherubim that is really there bowing down before the Lamb because it's an angelic being. It's not God. But God the Father, the seven spirits don't. And here's something else that I want to bring up to you that I think is real important. The Bible says you can blaspheme God and be forgiven. You can even blaspheme Jesus and be, be forgiven. But why is it that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven? It's an unforgivable sin. Now that brings up a whole other topic for discussion. What is that unforgivable sin? We'll talk about that another time. But that this is a clarity that is there in the scripture for us to understand that there is a distinction between God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. So you can blaspheme God and be forgiven for it. You can blaspheme Jesus, be forgiven for it. But you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're done. You're finished. That's a distinction that tells us there's a distinction between the three persons of the Godhead. Now, I want you to understand this so clearly because today... One of the, the topics that is constantly being brought up all over the internet is the Trinity. And it has an attack on the Trinity. And part of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, part of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. But you can, Scripture says very clearly, you can blaspheme God, be forgiven. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but you're not forgiven. You can blaspheme Jesus, be forgiven. One God... Three persons within the Godhead. Yes, they are all one. One God. That is correct. One God. One God. That is absolutely correct. Three persons within the Godhead. And that is why I broke down to you the three persons that you can see in the imagery of the book of Revelation and in the book of Zechariah, as well as what you can see in, in Matthew in the baptism of Jesus but also what you can see in um, in First uh, uh, John five seven, which is a common verse used. These three are one. These three bear witness as one, right? So you see that very clearly that these three are one in First John five seven. It tells you that in the scripture. Now, here is where I think the most important part of understanding this is, and that's in Romans. Romans chapter one, which um, for a lot of new Christians, I, I keep hammering it, bringing it up. And uh, a lot of people just wanna avoid Romans, but I don't. 
I go where people where if the pastors are ignoring it, that's where I like to go. Um, and if the seminaries are avoiding it, that's where I like to go because that's where we need to be. And that's in Romans chapter one, verse 18, it says this, and I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does it mean to suppress the truth in unrighteousness? It means to intentionally suppress the truth with wicked intentions, that you're doing it with wicked intentions. That's what it means. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. So every person ever created knows about God because for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Godhead. See, Paul is using this idea of the triune God in this, in this wording right here. And this is so important to understand because he's referring to the Godhead there. Now, I will tell you that in the smallness of the human mind, I myself, when we finally face God and we see him, we're going to be blown away by what the Godhead really is. We're going to be blown away. I believe scripture puts it the way it does so that we'll have a grasp of it, an understanding of it. But I think that we will be blown away completely when we finally face God. And this is important to understand because what may be known about God, that's the passage that it says here, what may be known about God, okay? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, be understood by all things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They're without excuse, right? Everything is manifested for them. Everything is clearly seen, being understood by those things that are made, even the eternal power, that God is eternal. I want you to understand that, that passage right there. God is eternal. And he's all-powerful. He's eternal and all-powerful. The Godhead, and that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. One of the sad things that I see out there, especially on the internet, all over Instagram, everywhere where the arguments about the Trinity are made, is that there's a darkness that seems to be there denying the scripture, denying the power of God and denying the eternalness of God, but also denying the supernaturalness of God. And this, this has me gravely concerned Because we can put our faith in a video game and trust it. We can play it all day long. And it's, it's putting your faith in it, right? You idolize it. You're, you're, you're believing it. You're thinking that you're actually there playing that game. Your mind is tricked into believing it. The scenery. 
Now we have the metaverse, virtual reality that is taking off in the world. And people are being subdued. People are actually buying property in a virtual world, exchanging virtual money to buy property. And we can believe these, these virtual lies. We can buy into it because we think we're actually there. We know we're not there, but we think we are because we've deluded ourselves into believing the lie. But the God who exists, who created the earth, things we can touch and feel and smell. And I thought about it when I was up camping. I thought about the trees that I could smell, the, the dirt that I could touch, the, the pine cones, the giant, enormous pine cones I saw, these killer pine cones that are really rare in California. Um, they call them killer pine cones because if they drop off a tree, you're dead. I mean, you're, you're done. Um, and we see this detail, this incredible beauty and artistry throughout the earth. And we go, nah, evolution did it. We deny the, the triune God. That a God so powerful would want to have a relationship with us. So much so that he sent himself in the flesh as Jesus to die for us. Then he sends the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to, to help us draw closer to him. And we go, nah. Sorry, that, that's just too weird for me. That's just too weird. But virtual reality, video gaming, drugs, illicit sex sci-fi movies that we can buy into. I don't see the rational thought in that at all. Brother Io and I were talking about how both of us came from a background where we both had serious video game addictions. And mine was pretty bad. Uh, Io talks about his, uh, I have to say mine was so bad that it, it almost came to wrecking my marriage. What's great about the recovery that, that I've made in my life with, with the Lord in this area is that my, my youngest daughter, well, not my youngest daughter, my, my middle daughter, Hannah, who's now 14, she doesn't remember me playing video games. I'm so grateful for that. I really am. And that the kids underneath her don't, don't know um, anything about that. But uh, the scar tissue is very strongly there that I see with my oldest daughter. I, I, I can recognize the pain and the scarring. I can recognize the selfishness of my life at that time. She loves me, don't get me wrong, and we have a great relationship, but I can see the hurts that she has over her childhood that I caused. Because I was so addicted at times, I, I couldn't do anything else. Video games, I think, are the biggest cancer we have in society. And I think if you are a young Christian... I know the topic of this is the Trinity, but I'm encouraging you this week. I, I Take your video games and burn them. Just get rid of them. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, whether it's in heaven 
because you've been raptured and resurrected as one of the dead, or it's at the end of the thousand years and you're facing God on judgment for your works. Do you think God's going to care about how much time you spent on Call of Duty 5 or Call of Duty 10 million or whatever it is, Call of Duty of, you know, alien possession? I don't know what it is. But Call of Duty or Ghost Recon or whatever the new hot game is, and I have no idea what it is, but do you think God is going to care? And let me ask you this. When you look back at your life and your, your accomplishments, is your accomplishments going to be because you were number one on the leaderboard? Or was it because you led someone to Jesus Christ? Was it being top score? Or was it because you spent time with your kids? Or your mom and dad? Or your brother and sister? What are your priorities? If video gaming is your priority in life, there's something seriously wrong there. Look, I'm, I'm not even going to say, like a lot of pastors will, oh, there's nothing wrong with playing a game once in a while. Yeah, there is. There really is. Because one game leads to another. And they have told us, the companies have, especially Microsoft, that their whole goal is to addict you. Why? They make money off you. The goal is to addict you into this game, then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and pretty soon you're hooked. You have an ability right now to know the triune Godhead. You have the ability to get to know who God really is in your life, to give your life to Jesus Christ. And you're going to let a video game interfere with that, and a video game interfere with relationships, some of you are praying so desperately for family members to get saved. And those family members, they're looking at you going, what the heck is wrong with you playing video games all day long? You need to decide which master you want to serve. The God of this world who gives you addictions to enslave you in? Or the God who sent his son to die for you so that you could have eternal life? I don't know, as I was reflecting about the beauty on the mountainside, I was thinking to myself, man, what is heaven going to look like? What is heaven's beauty going to look like without the flaw of sin? How big are the trees going to be? How, how many forests are there going to be in heaven? What, what's it going to look like? What are the creatures going to look like in heaven? I mean, you could go exploring for eons and never reach the end of heaven. It's going to be awesome. So I encourage you. I deeply encourage you. Know who God is. Search after him. Seek him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And learn to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your strength, with all of your soul. That's it. 
short apologetic tonight. Um, really wanted to talk about the Trinity. I hope this blessed you. I hope you hope, hope this helped you understand the incredible awesomeness of the God we serve. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to make that decision tonight. To talk to God and say, God, I, I don't know you. I want to know you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize, Lord, that I, I really need you. Would you come into my life? Would you rule my life? And change it. And will you help me, oh Lord, to believe? To believe. Well, God bless you all. And um, Christy Billion, you're worth a billion. Thank you so much. Every time I see our logo, I just look over at you and I just go, wow, thank you so much. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Christy Billion uh, actually designed our logo out of her heart. And uh, it is one of the most beautiful things. I get so many compliments on it. Christy, when I go to the grocery store and I hand out a card to someone I've witnessed to, it's got that logo on it. You are making an impact on people's lives. And um, it's amazing. I just wanted to tell you that uh, what you did for helping in the gospel message, that little act is um, that you did out of the, the goodness of your heart was is greatly appreciated by both uh, Brother Ion and, and ourself. People, uh, they look at it and they go, well, what does this mean? And I get to share the gospel with them. And it's pretty cool. And I just wanted to tell you that. Um, I have a challenge going on with Brother Ayo um, to uh, pass out three cards this week um, to total strangers, random strangers. And uh, I'm going to see if he's going to complete that by Monday. We're going to find out. So challenge, share the gospel this week. Tell someone about Jesus. Ask them if they know the good news that Jesus is coming back. That's it. Good night, everyone. God bless.